0: Good evening, everyone. It has been a it has been a long, blessed day, amen. Amen. Just a mere glimpse of what heaven will be like, what are you saying? Just a minute glimpse what heaven will be like. It has indeed been a privilege and an honor to be with you here this weekend. And I too have been tremendously blessed by the association and just the zeal, the commitment and the encouragement of young people here in this part of God's vineyard, anticipating and faithful to finishing God's work. What do you say? And that commitment, that zeal, that enthusiasm often rubs off on you, doesn't it? And challenges you to do likewise. And oh how I wish that many more young people who are in the Valley of Decision ought to be here just for the mere association. And hopefully it will just rub off on them. What do you say? And influence them. And so I thank you for your, for your commitment and your dedication and your zeal and passion to proclaim the soon, the soon coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 14, in beginning of verse 6. Before we begin, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father... Thank you for this beautiful Sabbath. We ask now that as we open up thine holy word, that you will illuminate our hearts and our minds. Holy Spirit, teach us and guide us unto all truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This evening I would like to continue with where I last left off this morning. If that's okay, can you say amen? Amen. I want to continue where I last left off this morning. And this morning, for those of you who were not here this morning, we talked about what it means to stand apart. To what? To stand apart as God's end time people. Those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. The Bible declares unto us that we are a holy generation. The Bible reminds us that we are a peculiar people. A royal priesthood. One that does not entangle themselves with the affairs of this world. Remember that? but one by the grace and the mercy of God that has separated themselves from the pleasures, the traditions, and the customs of this world. Stand apart. And this morning we talked about what it means to be that peculiar people. And may I remind you, SWYC, that this morning we found out that our uniqueness and our distinction and what makes us stand apart as God's end time people is rooted in Jesus and Jesus alone. Christ, our sacrifice, Christ, our mediator, and Christ, our coming deliverer. I am who I am today because of my relationship with Jesus. I'm unique because I'm unique based on my relationship with Jesus. And when we don't have that covenant relationship with him, then we have disqualified ourselves from standing apart, from being that holy generation, from being that peculiar individual. Oh, how I long and I desire for God's people to have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. What are you saying? It reminds me of a story of a young executive man. Who was walking down to his company building and as he came to the door and as he was about to enter into this door, a young feminist lady walks into the door at the very same time. And so this young executive middle-aged man opens up the door and the feminist lady, to her disgust and dismay, turns to the gentleman and says, You didn't have to open the door because I'm a lady. I can do that on my own. the middle-aged gentleman turns to the young lady and he says, I did not open the door because you're a lady. I opened the door because I am a gentleman. (laughs) And so it is with God's peculiar people. We are what we are because of who we are in Jesus. We preach the way we preach because of who we are in Jesus. We eat the way we eat because of who we are in Jesus. We dress the way we dress young ladies. We dress the way we dress young men because of who we are in Christ Jesus. What do you say? We speak the way we speak. We hold ourselves in the way we hold ourselves because we are rooted in Jesus our Savior. We don't do things because of what people are not. We don't do things of what people may see about us, but we preach this way, we eat this way, we live this way, because Jesus saved me and he's coming back to take me home. Not to please the dictates of men. Our uniqueness and our peculiarity is rooted in Christ, and Christ alone. What do you say? Furthermore, we found out this morning that in order to be a peculiar people, in order to be that group of people that stands apart, we must have we must have a unique message. We cannot be that peculiar people if we don't have that peculiar message. What are you saying? And we found out this morning that we not only believe in the totality of scripture that sets us apart, but God has given us a unique message. The everlasting gospel, remember that, for those of you who are here this morning. The everlasting gospel. Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. This is what gives us uniqueness. What gives you uniqueness, young men and young ladies, is not your talents. What gives us peculiarity is not the fact that we worship in great churches and we attend 1,000, 2,000 member churches. This is what not gives us peculiarity. What gives us peculiarity is not the status we have in church or in society, but who we are in Jesus and the kind of message we proclaim. Fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him. What does the Bible say? Worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. And we dwelt a little bit about that this morning. Worship. One of the areas that God ordains of us to stand apart as his end time people is the area of worship. Worship. Not only has God ordained us to tell those out there the day of worship, but also God has reminded us for those of us who are in here how we worship and the spirit we should have when we worship. So the three angels' messages is not only a message that's proclaimed for those who are out there, but sometimes it's for those who are in here. Have we failed to worship our Creator? Worship, and we talked about worship this morning. When it comes to worship, I'm often asked the question, where in the Bible can I find guidelines on how to worship God correctly? We found out this morning that it was imperative for one to worship God correctly, for we found out in the book of Judges chapter 8 that when one worships God improperly, it will ultimately lead them to worship other gods. Remember that? Therefore, it is of utmost importance and imperative for God's end time people to worship him in the way he wants us to worship, for he is the superior party in our covenant relationship. What do you say? There's only one area in the Bible that I can think of That gives us guidelines and principles on how to worship God in the way he wants us to worship. And that's nowhere else but in the law of God. The Ten Commandments. The Decalogue. For the Bible tells us that the first four commandments refer to our relationship with God. How we worship him and how we approach him. The last six commandments refer to our relationship with one another. Therefore, if we are to worship God and have that relationship with him, we must glean from the first four commandments the principles of how to worship him correctly. Come with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Exodus, what chapter are we on? Chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. Tonight we are going to carry on our theme of worship as we look into the book of Daniel chapter 3. But here in the book of Exodus chapter 20, the first four commandments deal with our worship with our maker. The Bible says, in Exodus chapter 20, beginning with what verse? Verse 1. The Bible reads, And God spake How many words? All these words saying, I am the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And here's principle number one when it comes to worshiping God according to the first angel's message. The Bible says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. It is very imperative and important to note that if we are going to worship God, we must realize who we worship. And the Bible says that we cannot worship any other gods, little g, before the great God, the great I am. A God, little g, is simply anything or any person that you put above Jehovah Jireh. That becomes your God. It's more than just relics and images, y'all. A God, little g, is anything or any person that you elevate before the King of Kings. Your career could be your God. Your money can be your God. Your car can be your God. Are you with me tonight? And may I even say for those who are gung-ho with our relationship seminars, your spouse can even be your God. And parents, your children like Eli can be your God. A God is simply something or someone that you elevate before the King of Kings. And the Bible makes it clear, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Sometimes your, your position and your accolades can become your God. Your intellect and your knowledge or your degrees can become your God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's the first principle when it comes to worship. If the Bible is clear, can you say amen? Amen. Secondly, the Bible says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any what? Any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a what, folks? Jealous. Am a jealous God, and he ought to be jealous, for he created us and redeemed us. What do he say? Yeah. He is a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me, And what? Keep my commandments. Principle number two when it comes to worshiping our creator. First of all, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Secondly, the Bible says we cannot have any physical manifestations of anything that symbolizes God and bow down to those images. Whether they're crosses, whether they're relics, whether they're necklaces or whether they're pieces of jewelry or instrument, none of these things shall take the place of God. Amen. Amen. There are a few reasons for this. For in the Old Testament, when one chiseled out a God, when one carved out and chiseled out an image, the, 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 the person carving out and chiseling the image became the creator. And he was actually creating something that symbolized God. And when we break the second commandment, we are in extreme danger of setting ourselves in the place of God. There are certain prerogatives that belong to God and God alone. That's what makes him God. Are you with me? There are certain virtues that we can emulate. But there are certain prerogatives that belong to God and God alone. That's what makes him a king of kings and our creator. That's the first reason why one was not able to chisel out and to carve themselves god because they were putting themselves in the position of a creator. Secondly, the Bible teaches us that when we have these physical manifestations, whether they're idols or images or relics or necklaces or crosses, when we worship these things, these things then therefore appeal to our senses. It becomes especially dominant with our visual senses. Are you with me? And when this becomes a dominant factor, you are in extreme danger of making worship a sensual thing. And the Bible makes it clear in the book of John chapter 4 that if we are going to worship God, we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Not through our senses, but as we found out this morning, we worship God through our minds and the dictates of our minds. There are three simple principles of of Exodus chapter 20 that, that ought to be brought to our attention when it comes to worship, especially the second commandment. It reminds us that worship must be spiritual. Cannot be sensual. Worship must be what? Must be spiritual. Secondly, the second commandment teaches us that worship is simple. Not sophisticated, but simple. Not with all of these layers that bring you up to God, but worshiping God must be spiritual and must be simple. Thirdly, the third principle that we can glean from the second commandment when it comes to worshiping our Creator and the first angel's message is that worship must be direct. We don't have to go via an image to worship God. Amen. We can come to him just as we are. Amen. We worship God directly. I don't have to go to a man that claims to be God or forgive sins to come to the throne of God. I come to him through Jesus, our mediator. Amen. Worship is spiritual. Worship is simple and worship is direct what do you say come to jesus just as you are and he will empower you with such a power that you will no longer stay as you are worship is direct thirdly the bible goes on to say thou shalt not take the name of what thy lord thy god in vain For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Oh, how I have a burden for this particular commandment. Taking the name of God in vain. If we are going to fulfill the first angel's message in worshiping him, When we come into the presence of God, we must have an attitude of reverence. Such was the case with Moses when he came to that burning bush. There are so many of us who enter into the presence of God with a mindset of the world. We must have an attitude of reverence when we're coming into the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Did you know that the Bible teaches us in the book of Leviticus that God punishes the irreverent? It becomes an abomination to him when we are irreverent in the presence of God. Reverence. We must reverence him. What are you saying? Yes. There are certain things I want to bring to your attention when it comes to reverence. The Bible teaches us that we must reverence God. Who, what, should we reverence who? God. We must reverence God, and all that pertains to God and his service is to be treated with reverence. Let me repeat that to you one more time. We must reverence God. And everything that pertains to God and his service, we must show reverence to also. And this is an area I believe that we often lack many times. For example, we must reverence and show respect to the name of God. We cannot use the name of God so frivolously and so lightly. His name is a holy name. When the biblical writers wrote the New- the Old Testament and the Scriptures, the name of God was so holy that when they came to the name Yahweh, they would go and wash their hands. Then they would come and use a different ink, a different brush, just to write the name of God. That's how much reverence they had to the name of God. And yet today we use it so frivolously and so lightly. We must show reverence to the name of God. I was at one particular institute running a week of prayer. And this particular institute had so many troubled kids. And so we got together and we prayed over a certain matter. The, 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 a, a certain ind- individual got in trouble. And so, so we decided to get together and pray. And when we prayed, one gentleman, God bless his heart and his sincerity, with his pants halfway down and his, his, his underpants all the way up, his cap turned the other way around. And all this bling, bling that was hanging on him (laughs) bows down and we begin to approach the throne of God. And the person in charge delegates to this young man to pray. And the first words that he said was, yo, what's up, dog? We're just howling at, at you at this moment because we need your presence. My God ain't a dog. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lily of the Valley. He is the Great I Am. He is the Bread of Life, the Alpha and the Omega, the Water of Life. Are you with me this morning? If we're going to show reverence, we must reverence his name. Furthermore, the Bible tells us that we must also reverence the Word of God. Are you with me tonight? Amen. We must show reverence to the Word of God. And I'll elaborate a little bit about that later on. Thirdly, the Bible tells us in the book of Leviticus chapter 19, we're all talking about worship here in the first angel's message. We must reverence his name. We must reverence and show respect to his written word. But the Bible tells us in Leviticus 19 and verse 30 that we must also reverence his house. The temple of God. Are you with me? We must show reverence to the house of God. And oh how it bothers me and it gets to me when there is so much irreverence in the house of God. I read somewhere, I believe in the Pen of Inspiration, where she says that many of our troubles and our problems that happen in God's church is a result of irreverence. And if we just do away of that, many of our problems will be solved. We must show respect and silence and reverence in the house of God. I was just speaking to my church the day before I came, and I spoke to them about the importance of reverence. And the panel of inspiration tells us that when the minister preaches, when he prepares that sermon, did you know that Satan is peeping over his shoulder looking as that particular individual is preparing that sermon? And he knows what that particular individual is about to say. And when it comes to Sabbath or Wednesday night prayer meeting or opening Sabbath and closing Sabbath, and that minister stands behind the sacred desk between the living and the dead, Satan is watching observantly on that particular point that will cause someone to give their heart to the Lord. And as soon as that point is about to be made, something happens. A child cries, the door slams. A thunder mysteriously happens. Something is evoked by Satan in order to divert the attention of that particular individual from the sermon to that particular noise. Could you be an instrument that the devil is using to distract your neighbors from hearing the word of God? Reverence his name reverence his word and reverence the house of God there are some of you here who are standing in the valley of decision and I know that Jesus wants to save you this weekend Jesus wants to come into your heart this weekend and make you that new creature keep your minds and your focus attentive in the word of God don't let anything distract you what are you saying Furthermore, the Bible says that we must show reverence to the day of God. What do you say? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. We must reverence his day. And with the financial crisis that we are living in, the Bible tells us that we must reverence God's money. That 10% that you should be putting in the offering basket belongs to God. And oh, how many times we show so much irreverence when it comes to God's money. That money does not belong to you, it belongs to our Creator. And if we're going to show reverence, we must also show reverence to God's money. What are you saying? Be faithful stewards. Furthermore, the Bible tells us in the book of Leviticus 29 and Daniel chapter 5 that we must also pay respect and reverence to God's devoted things. There are certain instruments in the house of God that belong in the house of God alone. Are you with me tonight? There are certain furnitures that have been dedicated for the cause of God that should only be used for the cause of God. We cannot mix the holy with the common. This piano, by the grace of God, ought to only play reverent music. These speakers, when dedicated to God, should only sound the preaching of God's word. There are pieces of furniture that belong in the house of God that should only be dedicated and used for God's purpose. I was working with a pastor one time in one particular country and he had a small orchestra band. It wasn't all that, just four or five of them. But this this orchestra band became so well-known that other churches and other people were now calling on him to see if they could come and use their orchestra band to play for their anniversaries and their weddings and their 21st birthdays. Now these pieces of musical instruments, he told me, had already been dedicated for the cause of God. And he said to me, Douglas, these instruments are only used for divine hour worship only. He showed reverence and respect. And this particular orchestra band became so well known that they were of great demand in that local community. And I was with him when he was talking over the phone, when one particular individual was willing to pay four times the price just to have them come and play at their worldly anniversary. That's how good they were. And I heard his response. And he said, sir, I'm sorry to tell you that these instruments only play hymnal music. These trumpets and these violins and this piano and this guitar has been dedicated for the cause of God. You won't hear jazz and rap come out of this music. We must reverence the things that pertain to God. What do you say? From the speakers to the instruments to all the pieces of furniture that belong to us of God, they have been separated for the purpose of God. Reverence. Worship God that made heaven and earth. We're talking about the everlasting gospel. Then the Bible goes on to say, we all know this one, verse 8. Remember the what? The Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thy son, nor thy daughter, the manservant, nor thy maidservant, the cattle, the stranger that is within thy gates. For in how many days? Six days. Who made the heavens? The Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. When it comes to the fourth principle, it's not only of crucial importance to worship God in the way he wants us to worship, how we worship him, the attitude that we ought to worship, but also when we worship him. From sunset Friday to sunset Sabbath, what do you say? Worship. Show reverence to the house of God when it comes to worship. Here's the pen of the the Spirit of Prophecy quote that i like to share with you. It's found in the book Education. Page 245. What book did I say? Education. Education. She says, reverence. Reverence should be shown also for the name of God. Never should that name be spoken lightly or thoughtlessly. Even in prayer, its frequent or needless repetition should be avoided. Then she quotes, holy and reverent is his name. Angels, what does she say? Angels, as they speak it, the name of God, angels as they speak it veil their faces. With what reverence should we who are fallen and sinful take it upon your lips? Furthermore, she goes on to say, we should reverence God's word. And this is what was amusing to me. And I began to to understand why the individuals that nurtured me into my faith would always say this. They would say, Douglas, be careful how you handle the word of God. I I, I really didn't understand that. I mean, they would even say, never put another book on the word of God. Remember that? Take out your physics books and your, and your geographies and put that under the word of God. Take out your accounting books and your medical books and put that under the word of God. Don't put it on top of the word of God. And I could not understand that until I finally read what the pen of inspiration says. She says, we should reverence God's word for the printed volume. We should show respect. Never, and this is what she says, never putting it to common uses. And this is what I get. Or handling it carelessly. I thought the folks that brought me into the faith were just fanatics. Nothing wrong if I put my, my cup on the word of God or all these other books. Even in the way we handle the printed volume, we must show respect and reverence. Handling it carelessly. And never should scripture be quoted in a jest or paraphrased to point a witty saying. Every word of God is pure. As silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times we must show reverence to the name of God we must show reverence to his word then she goes on to say reverence should be shown for God's representatives And all how we lack in this area Reverence should be shown for God's representatives. For ministers, teachers, and parents who are called to speak in his stead. Then she goes on to say, In the respect shown to them, he is honored. Now I'm not sure who your pastor is and I'm pretty sure that there are some pastors who are not preaching praise and truth. You ought to show respect to them anyhow. They may be mean to you and they may be cruel to you. They may say this about them, but at least show him or them the respect that they deserve. By showing them respect, though you may disagree with them, he is being honored and he will deal with them. Worship God that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. Come with me to the book of Daniel chapter 3. For here in the book of Daniel chapter 3, we see the element of worship. Daniel, what chapter are we on? Chapter 3. Notice what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 3. We all know the story. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but we all know what's going on here, right? The Bible says that King Nebuchadnezzar sits up in golden image and he proclaims to the then-knowing world to come down and bow down to this particular image except for three individuals. How many individuals? Three. We're going to see that again. Three individuals who refused to bow down, but rather they stood up. And the Bible tells us, beginning of verse 1, Daniel chapter 3, beginning with what verse? Verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. In verse 2 and verse 3, as I like to dwell on this evening. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent to gather the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province to come to the, to the what? Of the what? Of the image which Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Verse 3. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the councils, counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto what? Dedication. We see that word again. Dedication. And what were they dedicating? Dedicating an image that who set up? that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now it's very important for us to understand that the events and experiences of Daniel chapter 3 are of vital importance to God's end time people. Let me repeat that one more time. The events and the experiences of Daniel 3 are of imperative importance to God's end time people. Those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. There is some relevancy in Daniel chapter 3 for our day and age. And first of all, the Bible says that this gathering of the counselors and the kings and the queens we must realize that this was a religious gathering. This was not a social gathering, nor was it a political gathering, though it had political people there. But the Bible simply teaches us, by using that word, dedication, that this was a religious gathering. And so it will be in the end times when the two beasts of Revelation 13 will force all of mankind for one religious gathering, that ecumenical gathering, to worship the image of the beast. But this is of what is of profound importance. The Bible says that the governors and of all the provinces came to the dedication of this image. I marveled at that word dedication. Because these two words shouldn't be in the book of Daniel chapter three. And should not refer to a pagan image. The word dedication outside of Daniel chapter three is mentioned ten times in the old script, in the old testament. Dedication and dedicating. In this particular word, dedication in Hebrew, Hanukkah, is mentioned twice. But they all refer to the same thing. And every time the word dedication and dedicating is repleted throughout the Old Testament, it is always in reverence to a particular instrument or piece of furniture in the sanctuary of God. Numbers. Come with me. Let me just show you a few verses in case you're probably thinking I'm a false prophet. (laughs) Numbers. Numbers, chapter 7. The book of Numbers. What chapter are we on? Numbers, chapter 7, and verse 10. The Bible reads, this is referring to the offerings of the princes and the sanctuary of God. The Bible says, and the princes offered for a what? For dedicating, and what were they dedicating? The outer, the outer in the sanctuary. Remember that? That outer in the sanctuary was used for a holy purpose. For a religious purpose. And that's the same word we see in the book of Daniel chapter 3. Dedicating. The princes offered for dedicating of the altar in the day that it was anointed. Even the princes offered their offering before the altar. Verse 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, They shall offer their offerings, each prince on his day, for what? The dedicating of what? Of an altar. Every time the word dedication or dedicating is used, it is always in relation to something holy and sanctified. Verse 84 of the same book, same chapter. Verse 84, the Bible says, This was the dedication of what? the altar in the day when it was anointed by the prince of Israel, 12 charges of silver, 12 silver bowls, 12 silver spoons. Verse 88. Notice what the Bible says. And all the oxen of the sacrifice of the peace offerings were twenty and four bullocks, the ram sixty, the he goat sixty, the lambs of the first year sixty. This was the dedication of what? The altar, which altar? The holy altar, the sanctified altar in the sanctuary of God. Last verse, 2 Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 9. The Bible reads, Second Chronicles, what chapter are we on? Chapter 7 and verse 9. And in the eighth day, what day? And in the eighth day, they made a solemn assembly, a religious gathering, for they kept the what? Dedication. There we see the word again. And what were they remembering? The dedication of what? Of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. And you can read more in the book of Ezra and in the book of Psalms and in and, and different parts of the Old Testament. That the word dedication and dedicating is always related to something holy. Something that has been sanctified. And now we see in the book of Daniel chapter 3 that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to dedicate a pagan image. He uses that exact same words that is only supposed to be used for something sanctified and something consecrated. Therefore, the intentions of Nebuchadnezzar were absolutely clear. He wanted to consecrate and he wanted to dedicate something that was pagan an idol. Are you with me tonight? He wanted to make holy something that was unholy. This reminds us in our apocalyptic view as Seventh-day Adventists that when we study the book of Revelation, this syndrome of Nebuchadnezzar will be repeated in the last days. When that great image, the America and, 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 and Rome would set up that image. And one thing they will try to do, like Nebuchadnezzar, is sanctify and dedicate a pagan day. You cannot dedicate a pagan day just like how Nebuchadnezzar tried to dedicate a pagan image. Are you with me this evening? Sunday is a pagan day. And no matter how much Rome and the United States of America tries to make this day holy, it will be of no avail. And the more they do this, they are actually being filled with the same spirit that filled Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3. There are just some things that you cannot make holy. Sunday being one of them, what do you say? It is a pagan day, a day that originates in paganism, in Mithraism, and the sun worship, and the sun god, and Samarimus, and Tammuz, and, and Nimrod. You cannot, pay, you cannot make these things holy. Furthermore, SWYC, there are other things that we cannot dedicate. For when one tries to dedicate things that are uncommon, they are in danger of being imbued with the same spirit of Nebuchadnezzar. You cannot dedicate rock music. Hmm? There are just some things you cannot dedicate. You cannot dedicate theatrical acts and all of these dramas and certain types of worship that originate in entertainment and paganism. For when one tries to do these things, they are being imbued with the same spirit of Nebuchadnezzar. Worship him that made heaven and earth. What do you say? When I think of these three Hebrew boys, come with me to the book of Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to come to a close here. Daniel chapter 3. Notice what the Bible says, beginning with verse 12. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Who are they? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor what? Worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Jump down to verse 18. But if not, this is their reply to King Nebuchadnezzar, But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. The Bible says that the whole world wondered after this image. They bowed down to this great image, except for three. How many did I say? Three individuals, Shadrach, three Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now in Daniel chapter 3, it tells us of three little Jews who refused to bow down by standing up. In the end time, in the book of Revelation chapter 13 and 14, it tells us of spiritual Jews who preached the three angels' messages who will not bow down to this image. So the Bible makes it clear that the Shadrachs and the Meshachs and the Abendigos of today are those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. These are they who have the Father's name written on their foreheads. The Shadrachs and the Meshachs and the Abednegoes are those who preach the three angels' messages. Just how we saw three Hebrew boys who refused to bow down to this image. These are they who have no guile in their mouth. These are they who sing the song of Moses. Not the song of Michael Jackson. Not the song of Britney Spears. But they sing a holy song. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God. The Shadrachs and the Meshachs and the Abendigos of today are those who stand in the time of trouble. When the whole world wonders after the beast, they stand. When false teachings infiltrate the church of God, they stand. When present truth is neglected to be preached behind the sacred desk of God, they stand. These are the Shadrach, Meshachs and Abendigos of today. And just like how they stood long ago, we need to stand just like them today. Daniel chapter 3 has some connection with Daniel chapter 2. For in Daniel chapter 2, we see God. Who do we see? We see God revealing to pagan King Nebuchadnezzar the outline of history. We all know that, and God tells the pagan king, "This is how I want the future to be unravelled. There will be successions of kingdoms: the head of gold, the chest of silver, Media, Persia, thighs of bronze, Greece, the legs of iron, Rome, and the feet." part of iron and part of clay, Roman, Western, Roman, modern Europe. Are you with me? You see, God had already outlined in Daniel chapter 2 the way he wants the future to be unraveled. Then when we come to Daniel chapter 3, we see King Nebuchadnezzar, first of all, counterfeiting God's way of revealing truth. Let me tell you something about the devil. He is the master counterfeit. Ellen White makes it very clear in the book, Great Controversy, the 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 last great delusion is soon to open before us. Antichrist is to perform his marvelous works in our sight. And she says, So closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except through the Holy Scriptures. If your mind has not been fortified with a plain, thus saith the Lord, you will not be able to distinguish between the counterfeit and the true. I mean, that's how deceptive Satan really is. And so in Daniel chapter 3, Satan counterfeits God's way of revealing history. And he opposes his way of revealing history. He says there's not going to be a succession of kingdoms, but there's only going to be one kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon. Thus, in Daniel chapter 2, in Daniel chapter 3, we see a controversy going on between what God says and what man says. But this tug of war, this strain, is really nothing new in the scriptures. For God will say one thing and man will do the other. God says, you can eat all of this tree, but just don't eat this tree. Man eats that tree. God says, replenish the earth, spread out, and multiply the earth. Man says, let us build a tower. God says, I am your king. Man says, we want a human king. God says, go and enter into this land. It is yours. Man says, we are as grasshoppers. God says, remember the Sabbath day? Man says he will try to change the the times and the laws. Are you with me tonight? Thus we see a battle between what God says and what man says. And the Bible says that there will only be two groups of people. Oh, how I wish I could stand here tonight and tell you that there will be a third group of people in the last days. There will only be two. Those who worship the beast Or those who follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. Those who run out to the open and say, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him. Or those who run into the mountains and say, fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. The three angels' messages, but especially the third angel, this peculiar gospel. The third angel's message is a message of decision. If any man, the Bible says, we have to decide where we stand. Either we stand under the black banner of Lucifer or we stand under the bloodstained banner of Emmanuel. Either we stand on the sinking sand of this world or we stand on the Christ, the solid rock. Where will you stand tonight, SWIC? As for me and my house, I want to stand on the rock Jesus. What do you say? I want him to be my savior. I want him to be my king and my Lord. He died for me. He created me. And he's coming back for me. What do you say? How many of you want to be ready when Jesus comes? I want to be ready when Jesus comes. Why don't we stand as we sing our final song and as I now invite our singing group to sing to us our final song before we have our benediction for tonight.
1: Pastor Nom has challenged us today to stand up to a higher standard and stand up for Jesus today. So let's join our voices together and sing the song Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. It's around 6.18 in the middle, and we'll sing all four standards. Stand up for Jesus, these soldiers of the cross. The Christ, the man, he must not suffer long. trumpet call, obey. go through the mighty conflict in this is glorious day, we never will him against numbered foe. And courage rise with danger, and strength to strength oppose. Tonight, Lord, that
0: is our prayer and our desire to stand on Jesus Christ, our solid rock. Imbue us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your presence tonight, dear Father. And make us that holy and chosen generation that you desire for us to be. May we stand through these troublous times, though the heavens fall. Forgive us and cleanse us from all sin. And mold us more and more into your likeness. In Jesus' name we pray. Let everybody say, Amen Amen and Amen.